Morning, everyone. Oh, thank you. Okay. <laughs> I don't know what to say to that, so I'll just smile awkwardly and continue on. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Devin, and I'm the family ministries person here at Village Green. And I'm excited to be back up again this week and to be sharing um, in our series, Unlikely Heroes. And in case you don't know what an unlikely hero is, John has two awesome definitions for them, and I wanted to share them with you before we get in this morning. So the first one is, a person who carries a significant life burden, but who carries it with faith, dignity, integrity, and perpetual hope. And then the second definition is, an ordinary person whom God uses for extraordinary result. And for today's hero, it's a little bit different. So I don't know if you know the story of Ehud at all, um, but yeah, it's more almost like a comic book or like an action movie than like just like an ordinary dude doing an ordinary thing. It's, it's a really great story, and I'm looking forward to sharing it with you. Um, today's message is titled Drastic Choices. And Ehud was in a situation where he had to make a drastic choice. But before we get in, I want to ask you guys a question. So have you ever been in a no-win scenario? Have you ever been in a situation where you look at the options, you tally up all the results, and no matter what you do, no matter what you choose, it always, there's always going to be a loss of some sort. You know, someone's going to get hurt or... You know, something's going to happen to you that you're not necessarily excited about. And I, I thought on my life a bit, and I was like, is there a time when I've had a no-win scenario, and I know I'm going to have one, I'm just not quite there yet. The closest I could get to having a no-win scenario is every time voting comes around. It feels like a no-win scenario. Um, so that's my standard bad joke for the sermon. So now we got that out of the way. Um, <laughs> If you are going through a no-win scenario now, or, you're, or if you haven't been through one, we get to look at a story of a man who was really in a tight situation. So Ehud is in the book of Judges. And I don't know if you've read the book of Judges before, but uh, it's a really interesting book. It's got some really fascinating stories of these people. But when I think of Judges, I don't think of the way the Bible describes them. So when I think of a judge, I think of like the, the white curly-haired wig and the gavel and like slamming on a yelling order in the court. I mean, maybe one of them tried that, but I, I don't think that's what they're getting at. The judges that we're learning from the book of Judges is these people that God has tapped on the shoulder and said, you're going to deliver the Israelites out of a situation that they're in because they love to get themselves in awkward predicaments and in trouble. So the book of Judges is actually the same story told over and over and over, just different people and different characters. There is like a cycle that Judges just constantly is repetitively going through. And I wanted to share that with you this morning. So the cycle starts with the Israelites worshiping anything but God. So for a while they were worshiping God, everything was good, they were focused on him, he was their Lord and Savior, and then they looked at another nation and they saw that they had this fancy idol and they're like, ooh, it's shiny. And they ran over and they're like, I want to worship that. And they started focusing on other idols and not focusing on God. And as they started to do that, it started to create evil. It started to cause God to have to have a response. 
So then that's the second point, is that God rises up a nation to enslave the Israelites to teach them for their wrong. See, what had happened was, is they had made a promise to God. The Israelites promised God that they would worship him and him alone. But when they ran off to the other nations, the other side of the promise was is that if they didn't, then God would punish them. Like He promised that he would have favor on them if they did, but if they chose to walk away, then they are breaking their side of the promise. So then the consequences have actions. So he would rise up other nations. They'd come, they'd take over the Israelites, and they'd enslave them. And then over a series of time, the Israelites would eventually realize, hey, maybe we did something wrong. And they would call out to God. And that's point three. They'd realize that they have wronged, that they have sinned, and they would cry out to God for deliverance and forgiveness. And the last point is that God would raise up a judge who would deliver them. So God would look at his people, he would see them suffering, he'd see, hear them crying for help, and he loved them, so he would deliver them. And that's the cycle. Then once the judge passes away or retires, they go back to worshiping other idols, and then they get enslaved, and it just goes over and over and over and over, and it just keeps going. And that is the whole book of Judges and a large portion of the Old Testament is the Israelites just not looking at the back and realizing, hey, if we did something different, maybe things would be different for us. So at the point that we're going to be jumping in with Ehud, he's not the first judge. He's like a couple in. So they've already gone through this cycle several times. And it comes into Judges chapter 3, verses 12 to 14, and it says, Once again the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. And the Lord gave King Eglon of Moab control over Israel because of their evil. Eglon enlisted the Ammonites and the Amalekites as allies, and then he went out and defeated Israel, taking possession of Jericho, the city of Palms, and the Israelites served Eglon of Moab for 18 years. I love how this starts. Not because it starts well, but because of how how the writer, the author, just like plays it out so plainly, so simply. Once again the Israelites did evil. Once again, they chose their own strength, their own power, their own ways over what God had intended for them. And they started to worship false idols. They saw the surrounding nations were worshiping things. They got excited. They're like, let's do those ones instead. And they hopped on over. And in response, God raised up King Eglon. He's a Moabite. Um, He got help from the Amalekites and the Ammonites. And they teamed up. And they went over and they ran over, the, over Israel and they took over the city of Jericho. And King Eglon reigned over them for 18 years. 18 years they were enslaved. 18 years and no one thought, maybe something's not right. 18 years they were just there, serving the king under his reign, under his tight fist, that is much different than how God would have wanted to give them those last 18 years. Much, much different. Let's keep reading. Verse 15 says, But when the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord again raised up a rescuer to save them. His name was Ehud, son of Gera, a left-handed man of the tribe of Benjamin. The Israelites sent Ehud to deliver their tribute money to King Eglon of Moab. So after they cried out to God, begging for a rescuer, God hears them, he sees them, he loves them, and says, I'll deliver you. He taps on a guy named Ehud and says, it's your your time to shine. It's time for you to step up. And I want to say this, 
Because I'm going to read the whole story. And the reason why is because the details are so important for how the story actually plays out. Quite often when we read about people in the Bible, you hear like their name, you kind of hear maybe, you know, what nation they were, but you never hear like, oh, they were like five foot six, weighed about 170 pounds, good build. Like you don't get details. So when the Bible gives the details to a character, it's because it's important to what is being shared. So the fact that they said that he is a left-handed man is an important detail for what's about to unfold. So God calls on Ehud, our left-handed friend, and he goes in and he has an idea to deliver the Israelites from King Eglon. I imagine probably terrifying to hear that he's going to be the one to save an entire nation, but he steps up to the challenge. So let's keep reading to see what happens. Verses 16 to 17 says, So Ehud made a double-edged dagger that was about a foot long, and he strapped it to his right thigh, keeping it hidden from under, or keeping it hidden under his clothing, he brought the tribute money to Eglon, who was very fat. It gets Snickers everywhere I read it. It's great. <laughs> so I mentioned before, details are very important. So let's look at these two details we got. First, Ehud was a left-handed man. All right. The reason why this is an important detail is because back then, Ehud would have been looked at as a disabled person. Left-handed is fine now. Um, in fact, some people say you're smarter if you're left-handed. But uh, <laughs> back then, society would have looked at Ehud and said, this guy, he's going to amount to nothing. This guy, he's going to be nothing. At best, he might get a job and be able to support himself. No one was expecting anything from Ehud. But his left-handedness is what he was able to use to deliver the people. I'll explain more into that later. The second point is that King Eglon is very fat. Now, sorry, it still gets me every time. This teaches us a couple things. So it doesn't just say he was big. It doesn't just say he was hefty. It says he was very fat. And this shows us into his character and who Ehud is. But when I think of, or not Ehud, sorry, Eglon. When I think of Eglon, I think of a character from one of my favorite movies, Jabba the Hutt from Star Wars. And there's a photo of him in case you don't know. I just think of a human version of that. Because that's a slug, not a human. But just like when I think of King Eglon, I think of him sitting in his throne and his belly hangs over the sides of the armrest. And, when he, and he like breathes heavy just as a resting breath. Like it's like this guy is kind of gross looking. Like he's got a little bit of food on his face. Like this is how my imagination runs with him. But it shows us that he is a very selfish person and that he is a very greedy person. Because to be that big back then, that takes work. That's dedication. That's, that's some special training. <laughs> the food they ate would have been way healthier than the stuff we're eating today. And I don't know what you think a good workout is, but when you go to war wearing hundreds of pounds of armor and walking, that's got to burn some calories. Like, it's, it's got to be a good calorie burn. So, like, this guy had to have so much food that he could eat in excess constantly. And he had to have the good stuff, the fatty foods, the stuff that, like, people wished they had. They might pull it on a special occasion. He had so much of it. And this opens up to show us that his size teaches us that he is a very greedy, and selfish man. 
So now that we've looked at the details, let's get back into our story. So Ehud made a dagger about a foot in length. It's a big foot. And he put it on his right thigh because he's left-handed. No one pulls a sword out like this. They pull it out like this. So he put it on his right thigh, hid it under his clothes, and they bring a tribute to the king. Let's keep reading. Verses 18 and 19 say, After delivering the payment, Ehud started home with those who had helped carry the tribute. But when Ehud reached the stone idols near Gilgal, he turned back. He came to Eglon and said, I have a secret message for you. So the king commanded his servants, be quiet, and sent them all out of the room. What's about to unfold is very graphic. It is very much so like a movie. You don't quite expect to read it in the Bible, but it's here. And Ehud is in the throne room. They've brought the offering. They've laid it before the king. The king's probably looked at them and grumbled, get out. He's happy with his offering. So the people turn, they walk away. And Ehud has made it all the way here. And let's, let's think on this. Right? He brought a weapon to see a king. There's bound to be security checks. But no one expected Ehud to be left-handed. So every time he went to a security check, when they checked him for weapons, they checked his left leg for a sword. He's good to go. On he went. Didn't even think about him being left-handed, because that's how little they viewed those people back then. Ehud's standing there. He's made it through all of the security. He's ready to go. And he just turns around and starts to walk away. While he's walking away, I imagine in his mind, he's saying, you know, I can do it next month or next offering. I don't need to do it now. He was probably terrified. And a part of him didn't want to do what he was about to do. He didn't want to create the act that was going to lead to Israel's victory. Because it's not a good one. As he sees the idols, he sees them with his eyes. He looks at them and he goes, I have to do something. I'm sure even that morning there were people amongst Israelites that were worshiping those idols. And he's thinking, these things are what are destroying our relationship with God. I have to do something. So he turns around. He goes back to the king. And he says one thing he knows that will get him a silent room. I have a secret message for you. The king takes it. Hook, line, sinker. Sends everyone out of the room. All security. All of the servants. Everybody out. And not just out a little bit. Like out, out. Out and down the hall and down the stairs. Like go have a coffee break. Like it's, they're not even within earshot of hearing mumbling. Ehud is alone with the king. Let's keep reading. Verses 20 to 23. Ehud walked over to Eglon, who was sitting alone in the cool upstairs room. And Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. As King Eglon rose from his seat, Ehud reached for it with his left hand, pulled out the dagger strapped to his right thigh, and plunged it into the king's belly. The dagger went so deep that the handle disappeared beneath the king's fat. So Ehud did not pull out the dagger, and the king's bowels emptied. Then Ehud closed and locked the doors of the room and escaped down the latrine. He's alone with the king, and he could have just done it. But he's like, I have a secret message for you from God. Now this is a secret message the king definitely doesn't want. But he didn't know that. And in fact, he was so greedy. He wanted it so bad. He knew the people were gone. 
He knew they couldn't hear, but he's like, I'm going to stand up and lean in just to make sure nobody hears this message that's for me from God. So he stands out of his chair, probably wiggled a little bit to get out, leans over, and Ehud just stabs him right in the stomach. The fat overcomes the sword. The man poops himself, and he's on the ground dead. Ehud locks the doors, runs into the bathroom, and climbs out and climbs down the pipe. Like, that's disgusting. But I guess you got to do what you got to do, right? Let's keep reading to see what happens. Verses 24 to 29. After Ehud was gone, the king's servant returned and found the doors to the upstairs room locked. They thought it might be using the, he might be losing the, the, let's try this again. They thought he might be using the latrine in the room. So they waited. But when the king didn't come out after a long delay, they became concerned and got a key. And when they opened the door, they found their master dead on the floor. While the servants were waiting, Ehud escaped, passing the stone idols on his way to Sarah. When he arrived in the hill country of Ephraim, Ehud sounded a call to arms. Then he led a band of Israelites down from the hills. Follow me, he said, for the Lord has given you victory over Moab, your enemy. So they followed him, and the Israelites took control of the shallow crossing of the Jordan River across from Moab, preventing anyone from crossing. They attacked the Moabites and killed about 10,000 of their strongest and most able-bodied warriors. Not one of them escaped. As time goes on, the help kind of realizes, hey, we haven't seen Ehud, but, I mean, he's got to be done. Like, this message can't be that long. They approach the doors, and they're closed, and they're locked, and they smell the smell of a man that pooped his pants. And they're like, I don't want to walk in on that, so we'll just wait. While they wait, Ehud's climbing down. They wait a bit more. He's running past the idols. They grab a key because they're like, something's got to be going on. Maybe the king needs some help. They unlock the door. Ehud's calling for the troops. They find their king dead. They're marching on them. The victory was given. Israelites were free. They were no longer enslaved. But how do we handle a murderous hero? How do we handle this? That's the elephant in the room. Some of you might even be thinking that, like, so what happened here? Why is this going on? And in order for us to handle this, it's actually a series of many conversations we need to have. I'm going to do it as best as I can this morning. But in order for us to deal with the fact that God was okay with a man assassinating a king, we have to understand a few things. First, we need to understand the state of the world. The world that we live in today has problems. Everyone agrees with that. There's this thing called sin. It takes over. It's the darkness inside each and every one of us. It pulls us away from God constantly. Because there's sin in this world, the world isn't perfect. And the whole book of Judges teaches us that. Because they just kept doing the same things over and over again. Worshiping God, everything was good. Chasing after idols and, and giving in to sin. Then being in slavery, calling out to God. Worshiping God, everything was good. And they just kept doing it over and over again. This shows us that us alone, we never have the strength to just choose God. There's got to be something greater. The second way we deal with this is know that God is interacting in a sin-filled world. See, God is perfect. And because of his perfection, 
the way he interacts with us, he has to, he has to interact in a certain way. It's called just, his justice. It's a part of his nature. And when he sees sin, it's not okay with him. And he has to respond to it. So when, when the Israelites messed up, when they sinned, he's like, guys, stop doing it. Like I can imagine him just being like, stop it. I don't want to have to punish you. I just want you guys to love me. I just want to shower you with awesomeness. And they're just like, no, we're doing our own thing. We chose sin over and over again. They chose sin over and over again. So God had to act. We live at best in a plan B scenario. Plan A was Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. They had one rule. Don't eat of the fruit. They didn't do that. They could have lived in perfect harmony with God. That was plan A. But as soon as they ate from that fruit and they knew their actions were wrong, they moved into a plan B scenario. Lastly, Ehud had to do something. God called them to action. And Ehud didn't know a whole lot different outside of war because that was a common thing back then. So he sat down, he looked at this no-win scenario, and he said, okay, I'm going to do something that I don't want to. I'm going to assassinate a king so that God's people can be free. He had to do something, but he didn't want to. He paused. He turned away. It wasn't like he was like, oh, yeah, I'm so excited. I'm going to go murder someone. That was not what he was about. He didn't want to, but he had to do something, and it was the best worst case scenario he had going for him. And that is what we can take from this unlikely hero. Like I said, life's not fair. Sometimes in life, problems happen. Sometimes we get wrong. Sometimes evil happens. And in those situations, we have to choose the best case, the best worst case scenario. There'll be times when you face a no-win situation. And you have to weigh the options and say, all right, this is the best of the worst. I'm going to move forward in this and hope that God is going to work, that he's going to bring out his plan and his glory in a way that we just do not understand. And that's what Ehud did. He went in boldly to take out the king, not because he wanted to, but because he knew that God was going to be able to use it for something greater. Now, I've purposely left out one verse. That's verse 30, the end of the story. And I wanted to do that because although this action is very interesting and very riveting, that isn't what makes Ehud the hero. What makes Ehud the hero is verse 30. So Moab was conquered by Israel that day, and there was peace in the land for 80 years. What makes Ehud the hero is that after that was done, He led the Israelites in a time of peace for 80 years. Eight decades of peace. The best time to be a king over a nation is in the time of peace because it's all parties and happy times. Everyone's excited. And for 80 years, the people chose God. They worshiped him and only him. For 80 years, they had calm. No, No pain, no sorrow. There was no like, troubling families being torn apart. It was was so much better than it would have ever been if they had those 80 years under King Eglon, 
Although with his diet, I don't know if he would have made it that long anyways. But 80 years of peace, that's what makes Ehud our hero. Not his drastic choice. So Village Green family, I want to encourage you this morning to face no-win scenarios, no-win situations as people who are willing to just trust that God is going to work in the best worst-case scenario. Because God is always there. God is always working. And the greatest thing about it is, yes, the world is still a plan B situation. There's still sin. But God made it so we can go back to plan A. God looked at us and knew from the very beginning that humanity would never be able to save themselves. But he allowed us to learn that for ourselves. And then he took himself, his son, and sent him to earth to live a life of perfection, to pull people out of sin, to call people to God. And at the peak of his ministry, God put him on the cross a perfect man that had no blame to bear our sin. And three days later, he stood victorious, resurrected over that sin. That is such an amazing thing. And what that means is that we can come back to plan A. We live in a plan B world, but we don't get 80 years of peace. When when you're a Christian, when you commit your life to God, you have an eternity with him in peace, where there's no pain, there's no suffering. There's just praises and happy moments and times with God. That is the hope that we can cling to. So as we are unlikely heroes, perpetually hold on to the hope of God working in us and restoring us.